Hi, I'm Lauren, that's Jordan, and welcome to the His Film, Her Movie podcast. I'm just thought about how depressing my film is, and now it's sort of overwhelming how sad I'm going to be when I'm talking about it. <laughs> oh no, hello to episode 8! <laughs> Episode 8 of the His Film, Her Movie Podcast. Welcome. <laughs> so yeah, she said that what we're doing this week... We're doing So You Want to Cry. So it's films that make us cry. Yes, so lots of emotions going yeah. on. I feel like I probably got more emotional than what you did. Yeah, and I think as well, it's very... It's a good little tool to see if... If the Lauren pe- has a heart. Yes, if Fun you have fact, a soul. No. 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 <laughs> it's just a cold husk. It's just... It's cold and dead inside. The only thing that can fill it is cats. And wine. <laughs> so, yeah, as you said, where we are, the His Film, Her Movie podcast, we take situations, both pick a film, and then we discuss them. Yes. So, um, do you want somebody... What your film was this week that makes you cry? Yes, I chose um, the 1988 Studio Ghibli film, Grave of the Fireflies. Yes, which I had never seen before. No? And I did enjoy. Good. I liked it. Um, I picked the 2001 Baz Luhrmann film, Moulin Rouge, because that always makes me cry. <laughs> so we will get into that. A um, little bit of housework we need to put into gear um is that our instagram's changed yes it has just a little bit so if you follow us already we've not disappeared no. we're still there it's just that we are his film her movie podcast because it's a bit easier for to find yeah. us yeah and i think we should make a stand here because let's be the podcast that doesn't do the face up up aging pictures because well disclaimer i already did it and the difference wasn't that noticeable <laughs> I haven't done it. So, I haven't done it yet. But no, it's not. It's not good. It, it's not it, it good. just makes me look a tiny bit greyer. It made me depressed. Oh bless you, <laughs> Joe. We could be the. We could be the podcast that officially sponsors the raid of Area Fifty One. <laughs> yes, because that is hilarious. <laughs> I've got, got, got my memes like already downloaded, ready to go. How to get shot? Not to be a guy guide for it. I swear that I've, we're discussing this in work today. That it's a it's a think it's a Thursday. It all goes down. Really sorry, guys. I'm not gonna get much work done that Thursday afternoon. I'm gonna be seeing which bugger is live streaming on YouTube <laughs> and just watching because somebody's gonna turn up. Somebody is gonna turn up. Somebody's gonna turn up, and I saw a thing, and it was either nobody turns up, so we can laugh at it. People turn up and they get shot, which we shouldn't laugh at, but they're idiots for turning up. They turn up, they get in. There's nothing there. That's quite funny. Oh, they turn up, they get in, they find aliens. There's always going to be something to watch. They're not getting in. Either way, they're not getting in. But it's going to be interesting to watch. (laughs) So I fully support the people who've decided. I think it's up to one million people now who are going to storm Area 51. But now you said you support it and now you know we're on a watch list. (laughs) That's fine. They can look at what I want to buy on ASOS because pretty much all that's on my uh, history. <laughs> ASOS, cat memes, Instagram, 
makeup and wedding stuff. Yeah. But back to the subject at hand. Yeah, things that make us cry. cry. Now, what does make you cry in movies? Um, well, I feel like this is a bad thing to say because depending on the time of the month, I will just cry at a sad um, advert. <laughs> okay. I'll be like, oh no, she's lost her chocolate. I can totally relate to it. I'm not sure if that counts as oversharing. Well, no. <laughs> I think that's pretty fair. I think people who know me will go, okay, certain times she will just cry for like no reason. So I'm going to be more susceptible. This was not one of those ones. I picked my film because it just it just gets to me mm-hmm. on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. I feel like a film has to get you emotionally. It needs to be visually good. The story needs to be good. It's not going to work. It's like it's got. It's not going to work. It's going to be. Oh, this person is here. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, they're dead. No emotional attachment. You've got to feel something for the characters. Yeah. See, I'm a bit different, like, apart from um, my choice, because it's a little bit different, but generally it's not people dying that makes me cry, because that is just, obviously, you can see sometimes it's used quite a lot in film. Oh, I'll cry for most things, but... It's bravery and, like, the human banding together. It's like, for example, when you get the shot in Dunkirk of all the ships going over to... I think I cried in that one. And yeah, it's it's the music and it's just the sort of like... And again, everybody cl- cries at Rudy when they come with the shirts. It's just... Well, when different Rudy is a American football with Sean Aston where he's small, plays with Notre Dame. We can watch it. Okay. I was going to say, everyone cries. I don't. Yes. I have no idea who this Rudy gentleman is. <laughs> no clue. But yeah, it's when people do nice things. Yeah, I cry at that. I cry at most things, really. Yeah. I've got to. I've got to feel like I have an emotional investment in the story. Yes. As long as you've got that, I will probably cry at mm. it. Cool. So should we start with Moulin Rouge? Yay! Let's start with this one. My gift is my And this one's for you And you can tell everybody That this is your song It may be quite simple but Now that it's done Hope you don't mind I hope you don't mind That I put down in words How wonderful life is Now you're in the world So, for people who don't know, Moulin Rouge is the Baz Luhrmann musical extravaganza. Extravaganza is probably a a nice word for it. It's a big word. I learnt that today. (laughs) As Jordan chokes on his water. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a beautifully done film um, based in the 18th century Moulin Rouge in Montmartre in Paris. Um, and with that, it follows the two main characters, Christian, who played by Ewan McGregor, and Satine, played by Nicole Kidman, and then falling in love and the forces trying to drive them apart. Yes. But um, for people who haven't seen it, it's oh, it's just full of songs that you'll know, reworked. They've got things by Nirvana, Beatles. Elton John. If, yeah. Everyone. Like, if, pretty much everybody. 
still cannot take Like a Virgin seriously after watching this film. <laughs> Can't listen to Madonna and not think about... Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent and um, Richard Roxburgh. Can't. Just can't. <laughs> it's, it's ruined that song for me. But it's beautiful. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful... It, it's shot beautifully. It's um takes some artistic license from the original Moulin yeah. Rouge. It has the Red Windmill... The original Moulin Rouge also had a gigantic elephant statue right. in the gardens. Okay. It was full of um, Toulouse-Lautrec's paintings and he um, painted the Can-Can dancers and everything. So it's all, it's very over the top, very wonderful. But I find that this makes me cry because you see two people just desperately fighting for nothing more simple than just to be together. Mm. So very, very simple. And just the force is constantly pulling them apart. The music for me plays a huge part in this. It, it, it is very, it is it's a massive, very massive. Emotive. Yeah. And I think if you didn't have the soundtrack, it wouldn't be anywhere near as sad. I don't think so. No, I think it's. It could have easily <clears throat> been a very sort of dour, generic film if yeah. it wasn't for the the music, the music numbers, and even if it was general. Just them singing the actual songs and them not being remastered and yes. remixed. That adds to, to the spice of it a bit. Yeah, because then it's something you're like, oh, I know this song, and it kind of gets you into it. Yeah. You've got your own emotional connection to that song. Um, it was like we were discussing, oh, what's the French film? The one that I didn't cry at with Hugh Jackman. Oh, Les Mis. Yeah, Les Mis. Didn't cry that. Got told I was heartless. Didn't have a soul. Didn't cry it. Felt no connection to any of the characters. It's like when I watched um, uh, the Christian Bale Batman. You know where they're gonna like blow up the the um, people. The people. And it's, like, the dark all the off- yeah, the Dark Knight has got like all the orphans and like, oh no, we're gonna die. They did not build up those orphans at all. In my head, I was like, kill them. They're literally, they're, they're literally nothing in this film. If, you, if they lived, the, nothing happened. The person I'm marrying, people, <laughs> yes, just kill them. Just kill them. Just, just kill them, kid. Just kill them. But they didn't build them up. There was no backstory. You felt no emotional connection. I understand to them. that. And so it was like, well, it's just a film. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it, it's that. I mean, I think the whole scene within that, with the Dark Knight, with that sort of moral argument that comes. It, there's not enough there for us to care. I think it's no. all to do with what Batman chooses to do and if his moral quandary... The man should have just chosen a throat lozenge throughout that whole of that <laughs> film because, yeah, that was that was all I could get <laughs> But no, what I like about Moulin Rouge, um, I mean, I don't like everything about it. What I like about it is that it is... I mean, Baz Luhrmann was on a high after Romeo and Juliet. I love that film. But so that was a huge smash. Yeah. And this is what happens when you get complete creative license. Like the and what I kind of respect about it because it's exactly you know you barely get it you barely really get it but it's exactly what you can see his vision on screen. Yeah. And, Which I think is amazing. Yeah, and it's the definition I think of throwing a bunch of shit at a wall, seeing what sticks, and then some of it's great, some of it's not too good, but the stuff, the stuff that is really, really good is really good. What do you think is not good about it, then? Um, I think the second half of the film sort of goes off 
the end of a cliff because the first hour is so energetic. Oh yeah, it's amazing. And it's, I mean, that the opening scene, which I think is probably what many people think about Moulin Rouge when they, when they first go in when they first go in Love and it's I mean it's that. cut like a music video it's yes. cut after cut after cut it doesn't let you rest no it's frivolous and as you say it's extravagant um, and that's Baz Luhrmann's style it's it's very visual but it also delivers um story as well but what I quite like to think about is that first bit is like if you were going mm. that would be how you're first um experience of the moon rouge will be like this is happening this is happening this is this and then the second half is okay this is actually the the real life bit mm. you've seen the show this is how the show looks and it's all crazy and everything this is this is what we need to do to actually yeah. put this show on these are the real people and that's it i think because what i like is seeing the show However, what the second half is, is the building of another show. Yeah. So therefore, you do take that side of the film out. But I mean, going back to that opening number, it is completely sort of relating to the fact that it feels like a drug trip. Yeah. And although I know the, the sort of the cast of, what are they called in it? It's like Toulouse and Ewan McGregor are part of his group. Oh, yeah, the Bohemians. The Bohemians. So they, they've just took absinthe, so... It is, it's sort of, you can see how they would have experienced it mm-hmm. and how just in your face it is. And it's, sometimes you could probably maybe argue that it's a bit over-stylized, but it's... You're seeing it through drunk eyes. Exactly. And it's, I think that, that opening is it's a shock to the senses. And to open a film with that is like, okay. And it's really good because you can tell if you're in the, with the movie or we, if you're out with the movie. If you do yeah. not like that opening sequence, you're going to hate the you're rest, hear of, the rest of the film. Honestly, I could watch that again and again and again and again. I love how, it, how all the songs merge in. But then I also, I, I, yeah, I get it. The second half is slower, but that's where you're building the emotional connections with these characters. I get this that. is the bit where you're going to start feeling for these people. Mm. So get your tissues ready because yeah. you're going to cry. <laughs> if it was just over the top and everything all the way through, I don't think it would have the same impact. Don't think it would be as emotionally hard-hitting as it is in the end. Um, and also things like the songs in the second half completely change. They're a bit more sombre. Well, my one of my favourite ones is... Um, the Roxanne song. I yeah. honestly find it like to be the most beautiful performance throughout the whole thing. Roxanne, that, that is a really good sequence. And I love it. I think it's beautiful because um, the dancer Nini, she's the only one who's actually showing any sort of emotion. Everybody mm. else is just like complete robots dancing. They're in perfect synchronicity. Everything looks amazing. And it leads on to one of the darkest situations in the film. Yeah. So you've had, but the, the kind of touches on it, but that's like, it goes on from that to something that these women are experiencing pretty much on a daily basis. Yeah. And I kind of see it as you've got Nini doing the emotion for one bit and then the other female dancers just being like, well, it's my job, I have to do this. I'm being so robotic with yeah. it. And I just think it looks um, amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favourite bits. And I don't think that bit gets like enough credit because everybody's always so taken by the first half and then the big end performance. And maybe because you, McGregor and Nicole Kimmett aren't actually in that part. They don't really do much. 
No. no. But no, I, do, I really do like that performance of um, Roxanne. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I actually quite like is you can tell all the money is on screen. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the production design is gorgeous, but it looks incredibly lush, but also at the same time somehow that it's put together by Sellotape. Yes! It's so... It's like really expensive, shabby chic. Yeah. And it's just sort of like... Sometimes maybe I would have liked for Basil Ehrman just to take a little bit of a step back so you can actually take it all in because when you do have cuts and cuts and cuts, Mm -hmm. you can't really get to appreciate the set design. Yeah. And because it it does look incredible, like the sets that they've built. So maybe just to to come back a little bit so we can actually say, okay, that's some good old, that's craft. Mm -hmm. I actually read an interview where he said that they were travelling somewhere and they started watching a Bollywood film mm-hmm. and then they were like, halfway through, everybody knew exactly what was happening, what the emotions were, everything. And they were like, oh, right, this is the kind of film that they wanted to make. So it's very heavily influenced by Bollywood okay. films, um, which I think is a very good way to look at it. It's big performances, lavish costumes, everything's over the top. But again, if you didn't speak a word of English, you could watch this film and you could be like, oh no, that's the wrong person. Oh, absolutely. You, oh no, they've fallen in love. Is He's that, the bad guy. This yes. is what's happening. Do you know what? I didn't think about that and you can definitely do that. Yeah. The way they're acting, you can see exactly the way. And that was one of my, not issues, but it's like every everybody's performance is turned up to 11. Yeah. In... The only person that I think really gets it and hits the point every single time is Jim Broadbent. Oh, that man's amazing. Because his performance in it is always like that. Because Ewan McGregor, I mean, some films like I like him, some films I don't. He's okay in this, I think. Oh, I like him. He is, let's say, at best, a really, really good karaoke singer he's a good pub singer that's it so he's, he doesn't have the greatest voice no. but to be honest neither does Nicole Kidman and again this isn't the best I've seen Nicole Kidman but I really like it and for somebody who's had that much Botox and doesn't have any expressions yeah. I don't this know how she's still I think this is before the Botox do you think so well it was 2001 there wasn't as much Botox well, going around but then. even nowadays like she is still incredible <clears> but has no her face is like Pulsing. a balloon, like stretched over. Like there's no, there's no wrinkles, but she's still incredible. So, oh, yeah. like, she's made her face very still, but still managed to get emotion across, which is a talent in itself. I would say she is. They're, they're just, but yeah, like you said, Jim Broadbent, absolute star. Yeah, he, he's he's his MVP of this entire film. He is. Um, his whole character was actually based on Charles Zidler, who was the original All right. co-owner um, of the Moulin Rouge. He was co-owner with um, a gentleman called Joseph Ollier. Ollier? 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 I'm going to go with Ollier. I can't <laughs> read my notes. I can't tell if that's meant to be a I or an L. <laughs> Before the Moulin Rouge actually closed, um, the only time that it was closed... Yeah. Was um, when uh, Charles Siddler actually died. All right. So they didn't close it, like, at all until he died. They actually developed the can-can. They did everything there. It was known as a place um, for people to go and slum and everything. The Prince of Wales went, not Charles, Edward the Fourth. Right. He went. 
um, there when he was over in Paris. He was taken and he got a table and watched it all. Um, so they've done, I think Jim Broadbent's probably done his character very well because the guy, Charles, um, Charles Siddler was meant to be incredibly clever, very business savvy. Yeah. And, but yeah, Jim Broadbent's amazing. It really is. Um, and I mean, even like um, John Leguizamo. Um, yes. If I'm saying his name, he, he doesn't. He looks so weird with this prosthetic nose, and it looks good apart from when you get, when you get the shot from underneath it, and you can yeah. also tell it's fake. But I mean, see, yeah. Exactly. I didn't actually know. I've watched this film loads. I didn't actually noticed until you sort of said. I've always been more bothered about the fact that he is a regular person playing a little person yes and you just figure that should have he's a wonderful actor yeah. I think he's amazing um do think that Toulouse Lautrec I think if it was made now we did discuss this yeah. it would be by a small person a small person yeah actor and I I just think back maybe back then because well, there, there is a woman in it but she's yes. kind of seen as a little bit more of a comic Comic relief, yeah. Sort of just somebody in the background. Yeah, she's not like actually character. I don't think she. I think apart from her screaming at a gun, she doesn't do anything. Yeah, and I think that's sort of in a way. I mean, is it? Is it? I don't know if it's negative or not, but it's sort of like, oh, this is a bit extravagant. Of course, they'd have a dwarf. Yeah. But yeah, but I think the only way that I think it sometimes gets around that <clears throat> is that they don't ha- they don't really hide the fact that. It's John Lewis Yamau on his knees. I mean, the way he walks, the way he moves. Oh, it's so it, I, I think I think it's part, maybe part of the joke and part of the performance. But if it's not, then it's kind of out, not really in taste. Yeah, it's not. It's not an in taste joke. Um, I saw about how he um had to get so much therapy after doing that. Really? Uh, apparently, because he was on like his knees Must throughout the whole thing, he had to wear special prosthetics on his legs so that way he could walk around. Um, and there was one scene, you know, where at the end and he's the sit down, he's sort of like bouncing around. Yeah. He actually did that squatting so that way he could. Okay, <laughs> squats are hard enough. All right, we do a lot of them. They are very hard. Filming as a magical sitar. Jumping around just as doing squats sounds like the worst exercise ever. And apparently he had to have therapy because his um his back was all messed up. Like he had a compressed so, lower back. So physical therapy, not mental therapy. <laughs> therapy, not mental therapy. It wasn't like Jim Carrey when he had to turn to the Grinch. Yes. It was physical therapy. Apparently he had to. He had his back was compressed. Oh, his right. lower back was. He had to have like loads of physical therapy to sort of help loosen it up. And I think um the the interview that I read was a few years ago. Um, but he was having therapy for a couple of years after the film. Right. Because it was that bad. I actually also think it was just like a six-month shoot. I mean, especially when you're getting that much coverage and that much yeah. cutting. I think it was a long shoot, so that would have been really painful. Yeah. But yeah, is there anything else that you want to mention on Moulin Rouge? Um, I cried. I cried at the end. I don't want to spoil the end. See, I didn't cry at the end, but... I cried at the end. I just find... But do you not find the scene like, just beautiful with the rose petals coming down? It's shot mm. beautifully and it might just be that I, I feel more connected to the characters Absolutely. but I do I always shed a tear at the end 
because I just think it's it's so beautiful and you just think oh for god's sake why can't this have a happy ending there's so many happy songs in it <laughs> but actually saying that as well like, I would love <clears> to see I couldn't find it anywhere on the internet the um how much the music rights cost in total on this oh, film oh I did spot something but it was a ridiculous it was like 165 crazy million well I mean I, I'm, not, I'm not sure but I remember watching an interview with Danny Boyle um, he was on Graham Norton about yesterday and he said that getting the Beatles right for yesterday was the second highest amount of money he's paid on a film for something mm-hmm. and the first being Leonardo DiCaprio's salary <laughs> for the beach. I so, did read that um, that apparently um, Courtney Love uh, was allowed to audition for Satin. Really? Um, because she has the rights to Nirvana. all Nirvana songs. And um, Marilyn Manson originally recorded the Smells Like Teen Spirit, okay. but um, she threatened to pull the rights unless it was re-recorded without him because they were in the middle of a giant feud. Mm. So it was meant to be Marilyn Manson singing it, um, but he ended up not singing it. Um, I do have some fun facts. Cool. Okay. Nicole Kidman broke her ribs Twice during this film. No, one was on bloody corsets. Yes, one was in the corset. <laughs> one was her trying to get into a corset and another was falling down the stairs at 3am in heels. Ouch. That sounds like a pretty good night out. <laughs> the green fairy's evil scream and red eyes are actually from Ozzy Osbourne because they wanted Ozzy to be like the little evil devil to begin with. But then they decide, and to do the song as sort of like a rock anthem, but then they decided to redo it with Kylie and have her as more of a Tinkerbell. But they kept Ozzy's scream and the red eyes when they're falling into the Moulin Rouge Mm -hmm. from that, because they liked it. And um, uh, Satine's diamond necklace that the Duke gives her was the most expensive piece of jewellery ever made for a film. Right. It was valued at $3 million dollars. And it had 1,308 diamonds and a two and a half carat sapphire clasp. Not but when bad. he rips it off the neck, don't worry, they actually had a stunt <laughs> for that one. They had a they had like a paste one. It was all fine. But yeah, it was all real diamonds. and Very nice. I would be terrified to wear something like that. Because she's like dancing about in it and you'd be like falling to the floor. <laughs> Everything's like, oh my God, I've like lost one. <laughs> Lost a diamond. That's like a day's work. Slip it in your pocket. <laughs> just pry it out. Yeah. Just like bye, bye home now. Last one. To the loo. You're allowed to take one thing from the set. <laughs> I'll take one diamond. Thank you. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, no, except I cry, and I think it's a lovely film. Awesome. Yes. Should we do Grave of the Fireflies? Yes, we shall. It's gone.
So yeah, Grave of the Fireflies is a 1988 film from mm-hmm. the studio Ghibli, directed by Isao Takahata, who was one of the four original founders of Studio Ghibli, obviously along with the, I mean, probably the most famous um, Hiyo Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. And it was his debut movie, okay. which for me is still bonkers because... I mean, I know some people do have good debuts, but this is one hell of a strong debut. Oh, yeah, it was really good. So he he wrote it, he directed it. So he tells the story of Seta and Setsuko, who are brother and sister in World War II time Japan. And they live in this small village when the airstrikes from the Americans takes place. Now, the airstrikes weren't bombs. They were, well, fire bombs, really. So the canisters with fire which generally were dropped not to really harm the population, but given the villages at that time were very reliant on wood just to burn down all their infrastructure, really. Mm -hmm. During this airstrike, their mother dies, their father is currently out fighting in the Navy, and it just goes on from there. Yeah, and the thing about Grave of the Fireflies is that, I mean, it starts out pretty depressing. It starts out with an opening scene where you see that Sator doesn't make it. You see he's dead in a sort of a train station. Yeah, how many like homeless people are like dying in that train station? Because yeah. they're like, oh, look, it's another one. It's like, Jesus Christ, guys, you've got to like start looking after your people more. Yeah. So it's like you count like another five people around him, just like homeless, just like lying on the floor. Yeah, and, and what you get is you get Seta's spirit, probably, mm-hmm. meeting up with his little sister, Setsuko, kind of in the afterlife. And everything that we see after that is, well, it is short in flashback, really. I kind of saw it as um, them going back over their last sort of time together. Mm. That's a good way of putting it. I saw them like going over that because they were traveling on the train. Yeah. Back to everywhere and um, where they'd like lived and their family and, and their experiences yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, so it starts off really depressingly. Yeah. And it doesn't <laughs> really get better. It just sort of gets worse throughout the entire film. And it is sort of seen as one of the one of the most depressing movies ever. And and I think it kind of deserves that monocle. Yeah, it was very sad. I didn't cry. Which is fine. Um, It was sad. I didn't find... I, yeah, it's a sad topic. It made me feel bad about people who would have experienced that. But, like, Michael Warren, I found, was more depressing. <laughs> like, when Macaulay Culkin dies? Yeah. Oh, my God how much I cried at that as a child and that really stuck with me and also you know like bees are scary and can kill you um but I I look I did I really really enjoyed it um things like why did the mum like leave her children at the start never got never understood that yeah because her son's meant to be old enough to be doing like the firefighting duties Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to leave to look after your little sister instead. And I'm going to go on ahead. Yeah, I know that she dies. Yeah. But it's like, well, how many times has she just buggered off ahead of her kids and just left them? Maybe, yeah. Why it's emotional for me, I think, is it's mostly around the relationship between 
Sata into Suko. Mm-hmm. And the way Sata is so adamant at keeping the innocence of Setsuko intact in this sort of horrible time. And you do get these moments of levity, but they're always counteracted by even more moments of sadness. Mm-hmm. So you, you get, like, when you think things are going to get better, when they move away from the aunt who is sort of one of... I mean, we don't really get many enemies and many villains in this movie because there actually really isn't. It's the situation is the villain. Yeah, like, I didn't really... I, I didn't find the aunt to be, like, a, a bad person as such. I think she's more frustrated. Yeah. And... I mean, she doesn't really treat them nicely, say, in the fact that they're sort of freeloading, but... It's But at the same time I can you don't you don't you don't know how old they are. Yeah. But um Sasuko is is old enough to be going out and working and Sati mean. Sata, sorry, is old enough to go out and be working and doing his bit. But if you think back to say England and at the same time mm. it was a case of right, you're old enough the girls go off and we do land land army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do like little bits. You collect scrap. You do bits. Whereas he's sitting at home and he's reading comics, and her family are going out and possibly risking their lives because you don't know what they're doing. And she's going so yet they have to have the best food because they're doing something. I understand that, but I think the way I mean it doesn't really tell you how old they are. But I'm guessing he's about eleven, and his cousin. I'm guessing it is. Mm-hmm. I think I would say probably around like 17, 18. So there yeah. is that divide of, okay. Oh, yeah, and I, I, I get that. Yeah. I I don't agree with her. I think that she's trying to do the whole parent thing, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, I'm trying, like, I'm going to say, like, badly motivate you into doing something, being more active. And, like, cause she's like, oh, well, she should not be going to school. Should not be doing this. Yeah, but and I, I don't agree with the way that she goes about yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. But I don't think that it's done nastily because there was a line where she says, um, "Yeah, you know," where her daughter's like, "Oh, have you been mean again to the mum?" She's like, "No, no, I just said this." But then they go off and they don't say sorry. They just buy cooking stuff to spite me, and I think it's because. Yes, they are quite young, so they're taking everything that she's saying at face value. Mm. Whereas if um, they turned around and gone, all right, yeah, do you know what, we're sorry, we'll help out more at home, she'd be like, okay, great. And I think as well as part of that is understanding that they are children. And yes. They, they do go off and they try and... And that's one of the reasons why I think that Sata doesn't take Setsuko back um, to be with the aunt. It's because they are yeah, young know, and they're, yeah. they're, they're in this sort of environment but for me again you're going back to that relationship and it's the performance from both the animation team and the actor who plays Setsuko is incredible I mean for something that is such a minimal animation style Mm -hmm. the amount of character that they give her and just with her movements and the way she sounds things out you do get how young she is and oh, yeah. how sort of vulnerable she is, especially in the situation that she's in. Because she sees Sata and she sees this situation as sort of like playtime. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't really understand what is exactly going on. And there's a scene 
later on in the film when sort of things start going down hill where you see the back of Sater and you see all the rashes and everything yeah. like that and the way that looks I mean the imagery there it that is as brutal as live action you can see yeah. it. and again the imagery of when you see um their mother wrapped in bandages mm-hmm. and People think animation is for children, but you could not show this. No. This would scar people. Again, going back to our messed up kids movies, people see animation and people are just straight away think of kids. kids now. But it wasn't. It was originally done for adults. And, so. and, and the moment that gets me most of all, and I think this is probably what gets me sort of emotionally, is when, I think it's that same scene when you see her back where she's saying there's something wrong with my stomach. Yes. The diarrhea won't, di- the diarrhea won't stop. Yes. And that just gets me because it's sort of like she doesn't understand the fact that she's dying. Yeah, and she, she's like, help! And it's but so she can't brutal. Really say help. No. As soon as she said that, I was like, oh my god, please just take her back. Even if you don't want to go back, take her mm. and say, I can't look after her. Please take her. But that's it. But again, I think there's there's also a sense of people not helping people as well within the film because you get you, you mentioned it at the start where you've got the police officers who are like oh it's another dead one mm-hmm. just throw it out then you've got the you've got the aunt then you've got the doctor who just seems to say it's malnutrition mm-hmm. and then that's all he's saying it's like well, it's like, well what do I do I'm, I'm but he doesn't offer anything else and just say... Oh, I know, the doctor's rubbish. Just, just feed and I was like well you can't feed because he doesn't have any food and it's it's so brutal, and then the scene when I mean I'm going to spot it's a 1988 movie. It's over 30 years old now, but when and you know from the beginning, but when Tetsuko dies, her death scene, it's, oh. it's so tragic. Yeah, and I mean it, it does get me. It gets it just gets me choked up even thinking about it because it's it's just, so preventable. Yes, I mean it's what an absolute waste of life. And it, and I think for me, this is like a true war movie because when you normally watch war movies, you get sort of wild by the action mm-hmm. and you get wild by the explosions. Where this is sort of like the choice of the the fire bombs mm-hmm. against normal sort of bang explode bombs. It's a hell of a lot more cruel because what they're trying to attack is make people's not kill people, but just to put them into a situation when they have to surrender mm-hmm. and some people die horrific deaths deaths like you would rather die from an explosion than go through what these two kids go through oh yeah definitely and it's just for me yeah it's it's the way it mixes those moments of levity with those moments of sadness it it gets me every time and you, you can't help but put yourself in the position of those kids and trying to help them i, I think in roger ebert's review i think i've he mentioned something about like how other animated films like Bambi or The Lion King can like get tears from you. Yeah. Whereas The Grave of the Fireflies gets grief from you. Mm-hmm. It stays with you for, for a long, long time, mm-hmm. and it has been. It's been years and years. It's only the second time. It's the second time I've ever seen that film. Oh, okay. Because it it's not an enjoyable experience. No. No. It's very... It, I liked the film because I liked how it looked and I liked how it was all told and everything. I'm really sorry, I still didn't cry. <laughs> I just... It wasn't an enjoyable experience, but I don't know if it was the medium that it came across in. I don't know if it was because it 
wasn't real people that I was watching, is that maybe why it couldn't make me cry? Because it was a car, it was a cartoon. Yeah, it may be. I mean. I mean, again, people are different, but for me, the performances were that real for an animated movie. Yeah, they were really real, but at the same time, I think I'm probably I'm very visual. Yes. So it looked amazing, and the whole time I was like, oh, wow, this is done really well, and it looks really good. So that, to me, that probably deflected, because with Moulin Rouge, where, like you said, there's the bits where it looks amazing, but it also looks cheap yes. and broken down. So you can imagine how that feels and how that smells and how that would sound when you move it on animation it's very difficult i find to be able to do that because you can look at it but then for you to put yourself in it you then have to create it and make it real i get that and for me i have to be able to put myself in that position and i can't imagine myself as a cartoon That's probably like the easiest way that I can sort of describe it. Yeah. I mean, going on um, more of the technical part of the film, I mean, it looks incredible. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful to watch, like as most Studio Ghibli movies are. But I also adore the animation style of that studio because it, it, it stays the same throughout the film. But what it does is it gives you an ageless quality. Oh, yeah. For, like, for example, again, this film was made in 1988. They make a film like this now, and it looks exactly the same. Mm-hmm. It's used the same sort of methods, whereas you look at Toy Story 1 and look at Toy Story 4, Completely and it's it, it makes one look cheap and one look good. Yeah. Whereas all the films, can, I can watch it in 70 years and not have to worry about watching the crap effects. No. And I think as well, it's, it's the Studio Ghibli style. Mm. You see it, and you know instantly that that's Studio Ghibli. You know... From the look and how everything is, you know that who who's that, who's made yeah. that. It, it's it's a stamp of quality as well, yeah. really. So yeah, um, for me, it is a terribly, terribly sad movie, and it does it. It always garners a few tears from me, and it sort of it puts me in a bit of a somber mood for the, a few hours after it. Because I, mean, I remember last night, I was just a bit like drained. It has I mean, that effect yeah. on me? I didn't. Well, you were for a bit, but then I went to bed. Because I'm an old lady and I was really tired. <laughs> I guess those were our two films. Yeah. Both good films. I think they're all right. And I think both, we've, we've chosen for how they affect us individually. Yes. I would really like to know if there's maybe a film out there that makes everybody cry. Do you know what? Do you know what always makes me cry as well? And it makes everybody cry, I think, is Armageddon. The end scene from Armageddon is horrendous. I haven't seen it in such a long time. I'm also one of those people that didn't cry when Bambi's mum died. I can't remember watching Bambi, so I have no idea. Um, wasn't was it was sad when Mufasa died? Didn't affect me as, as much as it affected some people. That's it. No. So you maybe need that visual stimulation. I think I do. I think I need to be put into that that situation. Mm. I need to be able to imagine myself in it. But no. That's probably why I can't. I can't do horror films because I used to go, well, I'd be dead like right now, straight away. <laughs> That's because you'd never run. So therefore... You... Okay, I will run if someone's going to kill me, <laughs> if there are zombies, and if somebody says, if you run this in 10 seconds, you get a free Kate Spade handbag, <laughs> I'd run then. That's fine. <laughs> but, I, I, yeah, I don't really run. 
That is fine. So I think that is another episode in the bag. Another one down. Another one down. So yeah, as always, just a second reminder about the change with the Instagram yeah. handle his film her movie podcast it's easy enough to remember much easier our twitter handle is just his film her movie yeah at his film her movies that's changed as well seriously you've not played with that with for like absolute months <laughs> and then you decide to play with it during a podcast <laughs> screw it it was nearly, we're nearly the end i want to leave it in for the for the people listening mm. the tinkling in the background is our cat Finding a toy that she's not played with for about a year, <laughs> but now has decided to play with it whilst we are recording. Yes, never and mind. we've given up because she spent the entire time trying to bite me because <laughs> I, I wouldn't let her talk into the microphone. <laughs> so yeah, um, just remember those changes. Apple Podcast reviews. Press yep. that subscribe button. Follow us on Spotify, and just get involved. You can email us at hfhm podcast at gmail.com that is correct um hit us up on twitter like us on instagram send us messages send us memes send us everything suggestions you know just don't send us nudes no no news thanks (laughs) and um also please don't like you know sign us up for anything really bad (laughs) that would also be really helpful so yeah i think that is another episode in the bag for us so that is goodbye from me and goodbye from me bye